J.C. Ryle once said, this world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. It is a dark place, it is a lonely place, it is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Friendship. Companionship. A band of brothers. Buddies. BFF. Best friends forever. Friendship and the desire for it is a worldwide common denominator for human beings. From grade school to retirement communities, sports teams to church choirs, garden clubs to book clubs, Sunday school classes to one-to-one discipling relationships, from gym bros you work out with, fellow soldiers you've been deployed with, all the way to your top five ladies you enjoy a ladies' night out with, even down to secretly wishing someone, a certain someone, would like a picture or post on your social media feed, all the way to curiously wondering what people will say about us at our funerals when we're dead and gone. We all desire, we know this from experience and we know it from just being honest. We desire friendships. Even if making friends in big, large social settings is difficult for some children and adults, and it is, especially for those with cognitive handicaps and developmental delays, there is hardwired in each one of us a longing for intimacy, a longing to know and be known, a longing to belong to a family, belong to a community, belong to a group of friends that do life together, belong to a group of friends where you actually feel loved, you feel heard, you feel accepted, you feel loved. I'm sure some of you remember the sitcom series, Cheers, from the 1980s and 90s. Charlie's saying, no, it's all right. But if you're bored this afternoon, you can listen to the theme song. Maybe you remember if you did flip through that channel 40 years ago and watch this show. It goes like this. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Be glad there's one place in the world where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to go where people know people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Now, the irony of that real catchy theme song is that the place everybody wanted to go where everybody knows your name in the sitcom series was a bar of all places. And sadly, how many people today are still looking for meaningful friendships and romantic partners at places like that? So who are your friends these days? Who are your buds? Is there a place you go where everybody knows your name? And who are those people that right now that you find yourself talking to regularly or semi-regularly 
and the enjoyment of the friendship is mutual. It's not a one-sided deal. But a more significant question we must answer with friendships is this. What kind of influence are we having on the other person in this friendship? And what kind of influence are they having on you and I? Because like it or not, friendships will influence us. It's just true. You can deny it all you want, but it's just true. It's a fact of life. It's in part how God made us. We were made to live not in isolation or on islands to ourselves, but to be in community with other image bearers of God, other human beings. Because communities inevitably teach us. They train us. They model for us, and they lead us towards a path in one direction or the other. In that sense, friendships are like compasses. They point us to different ways that we're going to live our lives. Friendships are like character-forming factories. Our hearts are being molded after the passions and examples that other people set before us that we run with. Uh, Friendships are also like woodworkers. They constantly shape us. Saw us, sand us, smooth us, polish us for good or for bad. So the more shallow and casual and thin a friendship might be, well, the less probability it's going to influence us very much. But the more time we spend with another person, the deeper and richer the quality of that friendship becomes. And the more intimate we share life's joys and sorrows together, Friends, it's going to have an effect on us. It's going to have a profound effect on us. An effect that is going to lead us down one of two ways. That's how the Proverbs set it up. It's either going to set us down the path towards sin-enslaving foolishness, self-deception, and eternal destruction, or the path towards life-giving wisdom, genuine love for others, and joyful fellowship with God. So if friendships will influence us, what path are your friendships leading you down today? What type of influence are our friendships having on your relationship and my relationship with God? If you have a copy of God's Word, open your Bibles to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13. If you're using one of the pew Bibles provided, you can find that on page 309, Proverbs 13. In the month of August, we've been in a four-week sermon series that will conclude today, covering various themes found in the book of Proverbs. In week one, we studied together on the fear of the Lord. Week two, we looked at the dangers and warnings surrounding sexual sin and adultery. Week three, which was last week, we focused on the Proverbs that dealt with laziness, being a sluggard, and how we're called to live out a biblical work ethic that glorifies the Lord. Today, we conclude this series by looking at another common theme found throughout the book of Proverbs, and that is the topic of friendship, choosing our friends wisely. 
Look with me now at Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let me read it again so we just let it sink in. It's only one verse. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is God's word. If you're taking notes, I have two main points that will serve as an outline, and we'll have some subpoints sprinkled within those points throughout the sermon. Point number one, choose the kind of friends that God approves of. Choose the kind of friends that God approves of. Point number two, cultivate your friendships with God's truth and God's love. Cultivate your friendships with God's truth and God's love. Look at point number one, choose the kind of friends that God approves of. The proverb before us is very straightforward. You don't need to be a Hebrew scholar to get this. If we have wise friends... The probability, the percentage, the likelihood, the statistics on the chart go up that it's very possible that we're going to become wise. It's a very, very high probability. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Uh, The word walk in Hebrew meant to associate with someone. It it stresses a continual action as well. It's it's more than just a stroll down the park or even just a stroll a few laps around a track. This is more than just an occasional thing. This is a lifestyle. This is a continual walking, running, living with someone else going towards a direction. Uh, This word walk is used throughout the Old Testament to even speak about saints of old who had a close relationship with God. I think we need need to, as Christians, bring back some of this language that's been lost sometimes in our modern vernacular. For example, Genesis 5, 24, Enoch walked with God. Friends, you want that said at your funeral. Amidst all the things that people might say, you want people to say, that woman... That man walked with God. Genesis 6, 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. In other words, when we choose to follow and befriend those who are wise, we too will inevitably pursue, prioritize, and delight in the path of the wise. We will become wise through our intimate relationship with wise people. Again, according to the book of Proverbs, well, who are the wise? If I'm to associate and walk with people in my life to become wise, well, then who are the wise? Well, again, if you've been following through this series, let's go back to what we learned three weeks ago. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Simply put, those who are wise are those who fear the Lord. 
Those who are wise are those who fear the Lord. Those who by faith in Jesus Christ know the Lord. They're in fellowship with the Lord. They are in covenant with the Lord. This is how Christians are spoken about even in the New Testament as well. They walk with the Lord. 1 John 1, verses 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Or consider what Jansen read earlier from 3 John. 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This idea of walking, both in the Old and New Testament, is saying the same thing. It's a style of life. It's a habitual pattern of decision-making. It's a calendar-filling priority. It's a boots-on-the-ground life of active faith. Faith in the Lord. This speaks of a person's behavior, their beliefs that are leading towards a certain direction leading us towards a certain destination. The proverb indicates here that when you and I fill up our schedules with those who are wise, we we actually spend time saying no to certain things and certain people to make time for these wise people, we too will learn God's wisdom as we begin to apply it to our life. Friends, that means this, if you know you lack wisdom, let me give you a hint, we all do. (laughs) That's the irony. If you don't think you lack wisdom, you're deceived. We all need wisdom. How do you get it? Proverbs 2, James 1 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously, who ask in faith. And yet, we also see from the proverb, when we walk with wise people, Wise men and women, those who fear the Lord, we can obtain wisdom by associating with them. Now, aside from fearing the Lord, what else characterizes those who are wise? I mean, many people can say they fear the Lord. What else will characterize a wise person? What should I be looking for? What are those signs? What are those traits? What are those characteristics that indicate to me from God, I need to be spending more time with that guy. I need to be spending more time with that woman. I need to be spending more time with that married couple. Well, throughout the book of Proverbs, let me just give you a summary. The wise are those who take sound advice instead of always hastily doing what's right in their own eyes. Proverbs 12, verse 15. Those who are wise... Seek out and search for God's wisdom, his understanding, and his insight, like silver or hidden treasure. Proverbs 2. The wise are those who heed the warnings about the dangers of sexual sin and adultery and stay completely away from it. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. The wise are those children who honor and respect their moms and dads and bring their parents joy. They bring their parents joy because of their righteous obedience 
to Jesus. Proverbs 10.1, Proverbs 23.24. The wise are those who trust in the Lord with all their hearts, not leaning on their own understanding. Proverbs 3.5. The wise are those who keep God on the forefront of their minds, first in their hearts. They keep his commandments as the apple of their eye. Romans 7, verse 4. In other words, have you ever been around some Christians who just seem to be like a walking Bible? It doesn't mean they're not normal and don't talk about other things, but it's just like as soon as you ask for advice, hey, brother, I want your thoughts on this. Hey, would you pray for me in this? It's just like it's just sitting right here. It's just the apple of their eye. It is what they constantly think about, and it's what comes out. Friends, you want good friends that can model that for you. The wise hate their sin and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 7, Proverbs 8, 13. The wise consider the work ethics of an ant and learn likewise. Proverbs 6, 6. The wise are teachable. They're not stubborn. They gladly receive instruction and they gladly even receive reproof. Proverbs 9, 8, 9. And while a fool gives full vent to their anger and frustration, the wise prudently restrain their lips from saying what they ought not to say. Proverbs 29, 11. Friends, the wise are those who have a close relationship with Jesus. They walk with God, not perfectly. They sin, they get sick, they suffer, they're inconsistent. But when you're around them, their relationship with Jesus is real. It's not put on. It's not fake. It's not forced. Friends, when we look at the book of Titus, for example, Paul is telling Titus, hey, there's some churches on the island of Crete. We got to get some things straightened up for these churches to do well. He starts off in Titus 1, the way you want to get these churches going in the right direction, you need to put the right men in leadership. Here's the qualifications for an elder. Titus 2, he says, older men, be sound in the faith, be self-controlled, and teach younger men. Older women, do the same, be self-controlled, sound in faith, training young women to love their husbands and their children and to eagerly and with determination manage their households well. Why is that even there? Well, because it's built into us that we need other Christians to help us grow. We need wiser men and women of God to impart their wisdom to us. Friends, one of the saddest things we could ever have happen to us is live our entire Christian life, even attending church, but not being interconnected with other people in that church. This is not the end-all, be-all on Sunday. This is the dress rehearsal for the rest of the week. We are coming together to be rebooted, reset, going, wow, I need the body of Christ. Wow, I don't have all the answers. Wow, I don't love Jesus as I ought to. Wow, these are gifts from God in my life. Friends, one of the best ways that you and I can grow in wisdom today is recognizing we don't have all the wisdom we need yet. We ask him and we associate and become BFF with, or as close as you can, with the wisest people you can find. Friends, as Christians, that's how we grow. 
I can give you good books. You know that. I can recommend good podcasts. But you need more than preaching on Sunday morning. This is necessary but not sufficient. This is the waterfall. But you need cups pouring into our souls all throughout the week. And many of us already know this, right? I'm preaching to the choir. When are the times that you've grown the most in your walks with the Lord? I'm sure maybe it began with a good sermon you heard, conference you went to, church camp you attended. I'm sure God used that. But most likely, if we were to listen to each other's testimonies, it's when we were walking with other followers of Jesus as they were helping us follow Jesus the most faithfully we've ever done it. For those of us who know those people in our life, when's the last time you thank God for that man or that woman? Is it a mom or dad? A grandma, a grandpa? Is it someone here at this church? Is it a pastor you've learned of or a friend that you've been discipled by? Because we should thank God for any of these men and women God has placed in our life to teach us what it means to walk with the Lord, who've given us wise counsel, wise advice. Besides, where would we be today if we never would have known those people? I wouldn't even be in ministry today. I would not be a pastor today. I am not a self-called man. My personality is to literally, this might shock and surprise many of you, my personality tends to want to sit in the back of the room and not be in the limelight. That's the irony of me being a pastor. The reason I'm a pastor today, yes, God called me, got it. Yes, he enabled me by his grace, spiritual gifts, got it. But if you listen to my testimony, I'm where I'm at today is because people loved me and believed in me more than I believed in myself. God put those people in my life, identified, spoke into it, and encouraged me along the way and kicked me in the rear end when I was acting a fool, and they've helped me be where I'm at today. And the same is true for you and I. Friends, let's don't take those dear people for granted. They are gifts from God to us. And you see there the, the, down, the downfall of the other side of it. It says the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, if we're not walking with the wise, we're walking with somebody. If we're not BFF, we're not close associates with, we're not learning how to fear the Lord with others who fear the Lord, we are following somebody. We are mimicking them. And he says the companion of fools will suffer harm. That word companion is a pretty good translation there in the ESV, but even has the idea throughout the Hebrew Scriptures of being fed, being shepherded by another. That means a companion of another person is not a passive experience. It's active. Those we associate with on any close measure, we are actively being retrained to walk down one or two paths, like a shepherd leading a sheep. But in this instance, the Proverbs gives us the dangerous and slippery slope that comes with associating with the wrong people, being shepherded by the wrong influences. He says the companion of fools will suffer harm. John Kinchin once said, the path of sin rarely looks dangerous at the outset, but it is exceedingly difficult to leave once the journey has begun. Walk a few steps in the path of sin and your life's direction may be settled. Friends, that's why it is a conscious choice every day 
the people I'm associating with, the people I'm opening up my heart to, the people I'm reading and learning under, they are influencing us one way or another. Heed that warning there. Sin rarely looks dangerous at the outset. It looks very enticing and desirous. But if you go down that path, it's very possible you may not come back. That's why it's important we have the right examples we're learning from. Brothers and sisters, this is why we must be careful who we choose to become friends with. Character is contagious. Ambition can be enticing. Words can be influencing. Actions can be life-altering. Friends, we are either going to imitate good examples from 3 John or not-so-good examples. The question we have to ask is this. In what ways are our friendships influencing us for good or for bad? Well, again, it will show itself by the degree we're walking in wisdom in our lives or acting like a fool. Well, earlier I talked about what does it look like to be the wise person or what do the wise look like? Well, then we need to ask the other thing, though. What do the fools look like? What traits, what signs do we need to be watching out for? If, if we know we should be walking with the wise towards the path of wisdom and avoid the other, well, then what do they look like? Well, the book of Proverbs is going to give us at least five. I'm just going to give us five, not more than that. Five different types of relationships to avoid like the plague, to run, to be watchful, to be vigilant, to be discerning about. And parents, this is very important for you and I as we're thinking about caring for our kids and shepherding them of what kind of friends they should have and anyone we're discipling in this room. So I'm going to mention five, but I'm going to do them one at a time, so bear with me. Friendships to avoid, number one, avoid being friends with those who deliberately plan to do ungodly things. Avoid being friends with those who deliberately plan to do ungodly things. So if you have your Bibles open, turn to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. Avoid being friends with those who deliberately plan to do ungodly things. Proverbs 1, verses 10 to 19. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, speaking of violence or murder, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Basically, they're bullies. Verse 12, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. And whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Speaking of theft and stealing. Verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. They're using peer pressure to, to draw in these other people to join in with their evil plans. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. 
For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. In other words, these are greedy friends, selfish friends, lovers of money. And verse 19 says, it takes away the life of its possessors. And just in that one refrain there, avoiding friends that deliberately plan, they scheme, they think about it, they huddle together to carry out sinful, ungodly actions. What did the proverb say from the father and mother to the son? Verse 10, do not consent. Don't agree with them. Don't go along with them. Say no and move on. They're not worth your time. Verse 15, do not walk in the way with them. In other words, don't run with them. If you're able, don't sit with them on the bus. Don't sit with them at lunch. Don't go out with them on Friday or Saturday nights. Don't be friends with them. Be wise and avoid that deceitful trap. Turn over to Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2. Again, we're talking about avoiding the type of friends who deliberately scheme, plan, and plot to do sinful and ungodly things. Proverbs 2, similar to what we've already studied a few weeks ago on the dangers of the adulterous man or woman, upon receiving God's wisdom and discernment, it is given to us to deliver us, right? Or rescue us from certain types of people. Listen to Proverbs 2, 12 to 19. Verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Verse 13, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and whose, who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. Verse 19, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. God's wisdom warns us and protects us from friends, listen, that could inevitably lead us to walk away from the Lord. Did you hear the two different descriptions about these evil men and the adulterous woman? They forsook the path of uprightness. They forsook their covenant with their God and her husband. Proverbs 2, these men forsook the path of uprightness. In other words, they walked away from the faith. They were counterfeit Christians. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. They were religious hypocrites who had never been born again. God's wisdom gives us discernment to see religious hypocrisy so that we're not duped by a man or a woman who can speak well, dress well, and say all the right things to tickle people's ears, but yet trick everyone but what they're really like. God's wisdom gives us discernment to sniff out a rat. 
Again, Proverbs 2, the adulterous woman, she forsook her covenant with God and her husband. She's unrepentant in her adulterous sin and is on the highway to hell. Proverbs 2 says when we have God's wisdom, God's discernment, when we're heeding God's admonitions from wise men and women, it delivers us. It protects us from being in relationships that will only harm us. Look over at Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, we're still under point one of people to avoid, friends to avoid. Proverbs 4, again, thinking through this, friendships we want to avoid who deliberately plan and scheme to do ungodly things. Proverbs 4, 14 to 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Verse 15, hear the refrain again, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Friends, just like Proverbs 1, these people cannot even sleep until they've acted on their sinful desires, until they've brought trouble into other people's lives. These are the type of friends you do not want to be in close association with. There's no conviction in their lives. They're, they're like someone driving a car on the wrong side of the road, on the interstate, going 90 miles an hour, with a blindfold on, at midnight. They don't even know where they're going. They're going to destroy themselves and everyone around them. The Proverbs scream at us. Run, avoid, don't tamper with, don't play with. Let them pass on. Interestingly, Proverbs 24 says not just to avoid friends like that. It says don't even envy their life. Regardless of how good they appear to have it. Proverbs 24, 1 and 2, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Proverbs 24, 19 to 20, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. But then just a chapter before in the Proverbs, we get to see the ultimate reason why we shouldn't even envy the lifestyles or the appearance of success and happiness of those who do not fear the Lord. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. In other words, in this life, we will encounter unbelievers who seem to be having their best life now. Do you know some? You work with them? You live in the same town? They get the houses they want, the cars they want, the job they want, the new spouse they wanted, the vacations they want, even down to the health they have. But as Christians, we can't be duped into that way of thinking. The non-Christian only lives for the here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
is their motto. And even if they get to enjoy life's sweetest blessings here on earth, it will end once they die. Because then they will meet a holy judge who's held them accountable for all their sin. But for us as Christians, we've been given a greater calling, a more satisfying hope. Life is not all about what we can get and gain. Life is about a gift we steward and enjoy. Friends, whatever lot God gives us in this life is still better than what our sins deserve. You know that, right? Pastor, I'm struggling with contentment. Well, don't we all? And you know what we need to all be reminded of? Whatever lot we've been given in this life is still infinitely better than what our sins deserve. Whatever desires that remain unfulfilled in this life are there in part, friends, so that we are longing for Jesus, for heaven, for glory, for glorified bodies, for a new heaven and new earth where love and joy never ends. The Lord has so purposed not to give us everything we want in this life so that we're homesick for Jesus, that we're homesick for heaven. That's not a curse, that is a blessing. The worst thing God could ever do to a human being on the face of the earth is give them everything their carnal heart wants. The Pharisees got everything they ever wanted and went straight to hell. Oh, friends, that's why it is so important to prioritize the things that God says we should prioritize. Store up treasures not here on earth, but in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have friends who have the aroma of heaven about them. Their hearts are in heaven before they get there. They help you. They help me to stay focused on what matters. Friends, appearances can be very deceptive. If you struggle with FOMO, fear of missing out, because it seems like the rich and famous have it all together. How many of you remember Johnny Manziel? Okay. Johnny Manziel. Johnny Football a prolific college football player at Texas A&M over a decade ago. After a very short stint in the NFL, he recently had a Netflix documentary put out of him just coming clean about really what happened to you. Why didn't you last very long in the NFL? Notice what he said. It didn't take me very long to be in Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns, to find out that I wasn't going to be happy there. I had every single thing I could have ever wanted. You have money, you have fame, you're a first-round draft pick battling for a starting quarterback position. And when I got everything that I wanted, I think I was the most empty that I've ever felt inside. Appearances, friends, can be very deceptive. And so do the appearances of people who are having their best life now. It's not everything that you and I think it is. That's why we should not envy those who do not fear the Lord but we should be thankful that there's some homesickness longing to be with Christ in glory. Number two, avoid being friends with those who have a big mouth. Now, you can say amen, and I won't call you out for that part. Avoid being friends with those who are gossip, 
slanderers and have a big mouth. Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 11, 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Listen to this one. Proverbs 20, verse 19. This could be your like meditation memory verse. Proverbs 20, 19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. The word babbler literally means someone who opens their mouth wide and cannot shut it. They're like a house with no doors. What goes in continues to come out. There's no censor. There's no filter. They just say what's going out of their mind. No discernment whatsoever. And for the most part, they don't care. We want to stay away from people like that. Stay away from close friends or people who want to be your friend, who have a habitual pattern in sharing with you personal and private information about another person's life without that person's permission, because chances are, friends, they're doing the same about you and I behind our backs. If someone is easily persuaded by hearsay, and they just pass it off in the neighborhood, pass it off on social media, pass it on in churches as truth, friends, chances are they're saying half-truths about you too. A little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Friends, there's many things that can split churches. But I think in the top three, the top three causes for most church splits that are sinful church splits, not necessary church splits, but sinful ones are people who sow discord and division amongst the brethren. God hates it. Proverbs 6:19. It's an abomination. He breathes his rage and wrath through his nostrils towards anyone who sinfully divides his church. And friends, whisperers, people who got too much time on their hands to be busy bodies and not busy at work, can open that mouth wide and cause a lot of problems in a lot of people's lives. Stay away from people like that. If you hear them open their mouth, You've got one or two options. Correct them or rebuke them or say, that's enough. We're moving on. Do not associate with them. Don't listen to them stirring up their trouble. Be someone who says no. Number three, avoid being friends with those who are drunks and gluttons. Drunks and gluttons. Turn over to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Uh, this proverb is going to speak about uh, be careful of being closely associated with those who are dominated by self-indulgence and consume excessive amounts of food and drink. Uh, Philippians 3.19 says their belly is their God. Proverbs 23, 20 to 21, 
be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Then again, Proverbs 28, verse 7, the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. If you're here today, and you're a Christian, of course, and you're married to a spouse who's a drunk, or they're a glutton, if your spouse is a professing Christian, and they're especially a member of a local church, this is a cause for church discipline. The elders need to get involved. Members need to get involved because drunkenness and excess and being under the influence and led by, not the spirit, but by alcohol itself or dominated by food is a serious offense. It's public, it's egregious, and it can control people's lives. Always in love, not to shame, but to restore and see them get better. But again, what did Paul tell Titus when there were gluttons on the island of Crete? Titus 1, 12 and 13, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, if your spouse is not a Christian, they show no signs of being a Christian, they don't even profess to be a Christian, and they're a drunk. They're a glutton. Well, you've been called to be a witness that exemplifies self-control, sobriety, that you respectfully tell your husband or wife, no, you can make those choices, but I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to join in it with you. And I'm going to continue to tell you that Jesus is better than that bottle. Jesus is better than sitting on that couch, wasting your life away by looking to food and drink as your God. Friends, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We were not created to be dominated by a created thing. We were created to be controlled by the Almighty. If you're in a difficult situation like that, come talk to your elders. Come talk to one of your pastors so that we can walk alongside you if you're married to someone who's living that kind of lifestyle. We want to help you. Teenagers and young people, this room is filled with stories of how many of the cool kids we went to school with were at the drinking parties, the frat or sorority house, sneaking out behind mom and dad, hiding old grandma's cough syrup in the attics. And that's what they were doing in their younger years. And where do you find many of them today? Those wild oats were sown, and their life's a wreck. If it's not a wreck, maybe God had mercy on them before it was too late. Friends, little good happens when we make a God out of what was only meant to be enjoyed in moderation. Anytime we think we need alcohol or we need to eat excessively in order to feel good about ourselves, to feel good about life, to have a good time, we're not thinking rightly. We should avoid being close friends with others who could make us stumble into those things. If alcohol is a big part of your pre-conversion testimony or in your family, the last place you need to do or go is like the 
show cheers, where everybody knows your name at a bar. That's the last place you need to go. Be around others who exemplify self-control to keep you from that stumbling block in your life. Number four, avoid being friends with promiscuous and sexually immoral people. Avoid being friends with promiscuous and sexually immoral people. Proverbs 29.3, he who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. If a boyfriend or girlfriend is pressuring you to do sexual things that are only reserved for a married couple, they are not God's choice for you. That's thus saith the Lord. If any man or any woman, young boy or young girl, is pressuring you, enticing you, drawing you in to do what God forbids, at least in that very moment, you should have the awareness to say, this is not God's best for me. Boundaries in dating and boundaries in friendships, especially with those of the opposite sex, must be a high priority in the Christian's life. And number five, avoid being friends with people who have a hot head and a bad temper. Avoid being friends with people who have a hot head and a bad temper. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Friends, being around angry people is like putting gas on a fire. Unbridled anger, bitterness, jealousy, yelling. It can make a nice person all of a sudden become a mean person, a peaceful person, and to a brawler. Avoid being close friends with angry people. And and brothers and sisters, I'm aware that some of you work with angry people. You can't avoid it. That might be a cross you have to bear up. But there are going to be some situations I would happily pastor some members not to take certain jobs in certain environments because it's only going to bring them down morally and spiritually. I don't care how much money they're offering you. That's a part of the temptation. So that's why you need a multitude of counsel. You could probably stay in that profession, but maybe for a different company. Use discernment there. Those who are given to anger usually bring us down. Kids and students, apart from honoring your mom and dad and cleaning your room and doing what they ask, making good friends, choosing your friends wisely is one of the most important things you can do right now as a child. And here's the best thing you could do right now to start doing this. Mom and dad, do you approve of this friend in my life? Those girls that I want to hang out with and go to that party, are you okay with that? I don't want to do anything that would, that would be bad for me or our family. And parents, let me step on some toes here. Most of you, I think, already get this. Parents are given the charge to protect shepherd and guide their children, which includes every area of their life, including their friends. Do not ever buy into the notion that is so popular today. Let your children do what they want to do. Hang out with whoever they want to hang out with. You didn't hear that from God. You heard that from the devil. Children do not know what's best for them. A child left to themselves will bring shame to their mother. Read the Proverbs. Look throughout our own lives. Look throughout our history. There are times that a mom and dad 
should tell their child, I do not approve of those friends. Even if your child doesn't want to hear it. If they're under your roof, you're forking the bill, they depend on you for life and sustenance, they are to honor those boundaries. Parents, do not take your hands off the steering wheel. It doesn't matter if it hurts your child's feelings right now. It's affecting their futures later. And if they're godly, God gets a hold of their heart, they're going to look back at mom and dad and weep with joy. Thank you for telling me not to go with those friends because I know where they're at today. Can I get an amen from some parents in here? It's too quiet. Too quiet. You can have a big mouth with that. Okay? So we've spent quite a bit on the friends to avoid, the fools, the wise we need to be around. Okay, so Blake, give us some positive things here, brother. Um, How do I cultivate these good, godly, wholesome friendships that I want to walk with? How do I do that? Point number two, cultivate your friendships with God's truth and God's love. Here's some questions we need to answer. How do I become a good friend to others? What are some signs of a healthy versus unhealthy friendship? How do I actually cultivate these things? And why do sometimes friendships break down and end? Number one, how do I become a good friend to others? Turn over to John 15 in the New Testament. John 15. Alan read this earlier in our call to worship scripture reading. John 15, I want you to look with me at verses 12 to 15. If we're going to talk about friendship, we're going to teach on friendship, we're going to learn what to look for in friendship, and we need to learn what it means to be a friend, we need to go to the one who defines it, who embodies it, Jesus himself. John 15, starting in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. According to Jesus, love must be the foundation for all our friendships. Before we consider common hobbies, shared sports interest, similar stages in life, a likable or fun personality, mutually shared taste of food, travel, politics, or academics, the foundation for any friendship that is going to honor the Lord, have real depth to it, and actually be a blessing to the other person, it must be built upon love, not selfishness. Not jealousy, but love. But what kind of love? Who determines that definition? Well, it's Jesus' love. His gracious and generous offering of himself to meet our greatest need for our everlasting joy, he has already shown us this love. Jesus has defined for us what a true friend is. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus offered himself in love on the cross for us. 
Jesus befriended sinners to make us his own, to clean us up, to make us servants that he loves as friends. Friend, this is what makes the gospel such good news. Jesus doesn't love us because we were friendly. Jesus doesn't love us because we were impressive or even lovable or we were extroverts or we were introverts. No, Jesus loved us because he loved us. He took a punishment he did not deserve. He took blame, slander, and even betrayal by one of his own friends. Judas, denial by others like Peter. He was mocked, ridiculed, and scoffed at. He ultimately gave up his life for us. And why did he do that? Why did he befriend such unfriendly people? Why did Jesus love his enemies and love them so much to make them? They're his friends. Friends, it's not because Jesus was lonely. Jesus didn't have an empty love tank. He didn't need us to complete him. The love between the Father and Son were perfectly satisfying. No, Romans 5, 6 to 8 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we, in light of Jesus' teaching and example and sacrifice, inform us about what it means to be a good friend to others? Well, friends, it's first got to start off with you need to know the love of God. You can't love other people if you don't know the love of God through Jesus. Our love will always be tainted with a self-love, if not. Jesus is the standard, the example, the motivation. That's both for our long-standing friends and to make new friends. And so, friends, we should ask ourselves some questions. Think about your top closest friends right now. If you've got five, if it's only three, that's okay. We're not judged by the number of friends. But who are your closest friends? Ask yourself some questions. If love is the foundation, right, that's what should be motivating us in our friendships. Is the number one reason I'm in this friendship with this person to show the love of Jesus Christ to them? That's why you meet up with them. That's why you answer that phone call. That's why you continue to stay in their life. Is the number one reason you're in that friendship to show the love of Jesus Christ to them? Friends, are we in our friendships primarily for what we can get or gain from them? Do we love them simply because of what they can do for us or simply for who they are? One of the things the Proverbs speak about is that money and wealth is sometimes the only reason some friendships exist. But those friendships are usually full of greed and pride selfishness. Proverbs 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 19.6 and 7, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts, 
All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words but does not have them. In other words, money is what brought them together, and when the money was gone, the friendship ended. Author David Gibson once said this, your friendships aren't there to bolster your confidence or your security or self-image so that you can go on and do something with your life. Don't use people like that. Your friendships are themselves a gift. Friends, do you see your closest friends as stepping stones or as gifts to be enjoyed? Pray that it would be the latter. Now, what are some signs of healthy and unhealthy friendships? And why do some break down? Let me just name a few. Unhealthy causes for friendship breakdown. Number one, selfishness. Selfishness. If my needs, wants, and preferences aren't being met, we just move on to someone else. Number two, fair weather friendships. Fair weather friendships. When life is going well, they seem to always be around. When life is going bad, there's nowhere to be found. But what type of friendship should we pray to have and work hard to cultivate? Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And notice the mark of a good friend is they love at all times. They're there with you when you're rejoicing. And they're there with you when you're weeping. True friends stick with you for the long haul, even when your life is messy and jacked up. Ed Welch put this really well. He said, sanctification is like a clumsy, slow walk rather than a light switch that we turn from off to on. And true friends get that. They know the Christian life is messy. They know it's two steps forward and three steps back because they show patience with those that God has shown patience towards them. They stick closer than a brother. Friends, that's why we should center our lives and our relationships around the local church. If our common faith is in the God of love, and the love that binds us together is stronger than biological familial ties, some of the sweetest gifts of friendship God has provided for us to enjoy are sitting in this room. You can make friends at the gym, the hair salon, or in different states. You can have long-standing friends you've had for 30 years, but don't miss out on the people that are in covenant in this congregation that could be answers to prayer to meet needs and longings for friends that you've been asking for. Sometimes our problem is not that God isn't hearing. He always hears our prayers. We just ain't looking. We're a little too picky. I want that person to be my friend. There might be like four people over there you're just totally ignoring because you're just too preoccupied on this one person. Maybe God is not letting that friendship happen because you'd make an idol out of that friendship. Open your eyes. There's a lot of people up in here. God can surprise us with friends we didn't even know what's coming. Uh, friends, be careful of codependency in friendships. 
Be careful of codependency. Be careful of the attitude of, I need you as my self-esteem oxygen tank. I need your praise, your approval. I want you to laugh at my jokes. Affirm me. Give me constant attention. How do you know if you are maybe codependent on a friend? Do you get jealous when other people are becoming friends with your best friend? Do you get territorial? Does it bother you and grate at you when you see other people enjoying time with your best friend? It's probably a good chance there's some codependency there. Again, Ed Welch nails it on the head. We need to need people less and love people more. We need to need people less and love people more. We shouldn't look to friendships to fill up our love tanks. Jesus is the only friend that can do that. And friends, we should also have some boundaries in our friendships. Proverbs 25, 16 and 17, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. In other words, don't overstay your welcome. Learn the limits your friend has, give them space, let them breathe. If they're an introvert, give them space. Do they have a lot going on in their life? Find out how you can support them, not smother them. And friends, sin can also ruin relationships really fast. Unrepentant sin. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, friends, there's so many other things I have on here. Friendships change as you get older, different seasons of life. Friends die, go on to be with Jesus. Friends move away. Interests change. There's a lot of things that could happen. That's just a part of God's providence in our life. It's okay to have friends from 30 years ago that you keep in touch with. But wherever you are, be all there. God may have a friend right in front of you, and you're just not taking advantage of them. And you might be sitting in here today and you're thinking, well, Blake, you, you said some things about friendships with unbelievers. Are you saying that I'm not to be friends with any non-Christians? I mean, how on earth are they ever going to become a Christian? Let me just give you a rule of thumb with that. When you befriend an unbeliever, the goal is to evangelize and see them converted. Get to know them, love them, understand their worldview and their family and their life. But be prayerful in those friendships. Have other Christians involved with you in those friendships. Invite them to your church. Invite them into your home with your Christian friends. Get them on your turf. Jesus was the friend of sinners, but Jesus had a mission and intentionality when he befriended unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's a command. And yet we are to be evangelistic and friendly to them. Pray for wisdom in that. Ask for your Christian friends to support you. Uh, what are some practical ways as we conclude to form and maintain and even start new friendships? Number one, Pray for God to provide these types of friendships we've been talking about today. Those wise friendships. Those friendships that help you in your walk with the Lord. We have a friend in Jesus. Tell him. He hears our request.
Number two, prioritize love and truth in those friendships. Guys, we want depth, right? We want the real thing. That means they're going to have to be made of some substance. Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Self-love ruins relationships. Selfless love reinvigorates them. Speaking the truth in love will create depth in friendships, even if that truth hurts sometimes. Perpetual small talk, though nice and comfortable, never actually creates depth in friendships. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. J.C. Ryle once said, let us seek friends that will stir us up about our prayers, our Bible reading, our use of time, our souls, and our salvation. We should also want a diversity of friendships that will meet a diversity of needs. A diversity of friendships that will meet a diversity of needs. In other words, you don't want to be friends with everyone who's just basically like you. We need three types of friends in our life. We need friends that will stand with us when our faith is being tested. We need friends that will stick it to us when we're off and we need correction. And we need friends who will stay with us because they love us and enjoy our company. Lastly, don't give up on friendships if some friendships fail. A friendship can end for all sorts of reasons. Paul and Barnabas were close friends who co-labored in ministry together. Then in Acts 15, they disagreed on a ministry decision and they decided to part ways. I think they loved and still respected each other from different parts of the Mediterranean world. And God may do the same in our life. He may remove a friendship from our lives for all sorts of reasons. But that means he's going to show his faithfulness to provide new ones to meet us right where we're at. And to my non-Christian friend, this whole sermon's been on friendships, the need for them, and the ones to avoid. But the one friend you need to know today is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only friend that can shepherd your heart, heal your wound, and will never leave you nor forsake you. He left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross for sins he did not commit. He took on your punishment and the pain you and I deserve, he absorbed God's punishment, he died, and then he rose from the dead, giving us victory over our enemy. He did that, even though we're his enemies, to make us his friends. And it's because he loves us. He befriends the most unfriendly sinners and to make them his own. Turn from your sins today and come to know Jesus as the best friend you'll ever have. Members of CCBC, as we close, how can we maintain and cultivate a kind of community where our friendships are diverse and our friendships are deep? It will require effort. It will require endurance. And it will require commitment. It will require effort. Love takes initiative. 
We love because he first loved us. It takes endurance. Love bears all things and perseveres even when it's hard. Sinners are messy. And yet Jesus can make the vilest clean, including ourselves. It takes commitment. Choosing to love someone because of a vow, a promise, a covenant pledge you've made before the Lord and with a body of believers. That's why at CCBC we have a church covenant. It puts teeth into our friendships. It gives us guardrails and guidelines. It gives us biblical commands that Jesus taught his apostles for us to live out. So many people are visiting churches, and this is what they want. I want great preaching. I want tremendous community. I want every program that a church could offer, but do not get up in my personal space. Let me give you a hint. That doesn't exist. Good preaching creates real Christians by God's grace. Real Christians want real community, and real community does not happen apart from real commitment. Accountability, commitment, knowing and being known can only happen in a biblical local church. Community only happens when our commitment towards one another is greater than how you make me feel. It's because he first loved me. He sought me. He has been patient with me. And he has made me his friend. That is the motivation to make new friends, to maintain existing friends, and to love even difficult friends. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. As followers of Christ, we should look for those friendships that influence us to keep our eyes on Jesus. As followers of Christ, we should cherish our friendship with him by walking humbly and obediently with him. And even when our love for him is cold, Jesus, our Savior and our friend, he will hold us fast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that in Christ you do make us your friend. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what that actually means and what that looks like even in our own friendships. Lord, we pray that today we would just examine our friendships with one another and ask ourselves, are we cultivating these friendships with your love and truth? Father, we also pray you'd bring to mind right now, maybe we've been a little undiscerning, sloppy, and too casual with friends that we should not be in close connection with. Uh, Lord, give us clarity in our thinking. Surround us with wise men and women to shepherd us. Lord, he who walks with wise men will become wise. Lord, that is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.